Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're off and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. What a goal! Sensational! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. The world is left to wonder. Wide-eyed, thrilled, bemused. How on earth did that happen? Hello and welcome back to Wonder Goal, the soccer podcast that gives out more tennis winners than soccer winners. From the Action Network, our podcast is presented by Bet365. I'm Anthony Bundo, joined, as always, by BJ Cunningham. Michael Leboff uh, is back from Cancun, but will not be joining us on the pod until uh, the Premier League returns next week. So that'll be Tuesday, so he'll be back for the Monday morning episode. But we do have a very interesting slate this weekend, some really juicy early-round FA Cup ties, a full slate around the rest of Europe. AFCON, the group stage, comes to a close on Wednesday afternoon. Asian Cup, we're heading into the knockouts as well, so BJ's going to have some bets for that. But before we get into all of the weekend soccer action, reminder that Wonder Goal is presented by Bet365. Bet365 doesn't do ordinary. It believes that every sport should be epic, every tournament, every game, every point, every play, from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today with promo code ACTION, and you'll get $365 in bonus bets when you bet just $1. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 or older only must be present in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, or Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Terms and conditions apply. We've got five matchups this weekend in the FA Cup fourth-round draw that include Premier League teams versus Premier League teams. Uh, there's a couple matches that are involving championship teams that we have action on. Let's start with the headliner. Manchester City visits Spurs on Friday afternoon, Eastern time, Friday evening in the UK. Should be a fun Friday Night Lights matchup. It's one of a couple big matches. BJ, City have had a lot of problems getting past Tottenham in the past, and any City fan will tell you they, they still have nightmares about uh, Son and, and Harry Kane on the counter. Kane is gone. And it didn't matter. In the last leg they played at, at the Etihad, ended 3-3. Sun was, was killing them on the break, and, and Kulisevsky as well. Uh, even Richarlison getting in on the action. And Tottenham is now at home as a pretty sizable underdog. Man City minus 160 to win the match in regulation. Tottenham as high as plus 350 to qualify. City are about as healthy as they've been in a while, minus early Holland. Tottenham are dealing with all these injuries, slash AFCON, slash Asian Cup. We don't really know what to expect from, from Ange Ball here. But what do you expect in, in what should be a fun and open match? 
I don't really know what to expect, quite frankly. I mean, there's a couple interesting components of this. You know, Tottenham's defense is finally healthy. You know, the previous match where these two faced off, it was a chaotic 3-3 that Spurs kind of lucked their way into, let's just say, that 3-3 draw. But they had also had to play Ben Davies and Emerson as their back, too. But now they get both Van Deven and Romero back, which makes things a lot better. But Kevin De Bruyne is really, from what we've seen from the one match from them, has really unlocked Manchester City in terms of what they can do offensively. So, you know, in the past, without De Bruyne, at least for the first half of the season, they were struggling to find guys in between the lines. And De Bruyne is not only good at finding space in between the lines, but he's also great at picking guys out. And you saw that against Newcastle, where Newcastle was playing a passive 4-5-1. They weren't really trying to press City. And they were trying to stay very narrow in the middle and try to cut off those passes through the middle. And City just kept finding those passes because of Kevin De Bruyne finding space. And then he obviously can distribute from there and create a bunch of chances and score a goal for himself. So the question is, can Tottenham play their high line? Can they press and keep City at bay? Or is City going to punish them with runners in behind, with Doku and Foden getting in behind? And now that they have Kevin De Bruyne to distribute, it makes things a lot more difficult for here for me to see how Tottenham stays in it. Then you obviously have the aspect of Son being out at the Asian Cup, which Richarlison has been really good in uh, over the last month, I'd say. You know, the last time we obviously saw them playing Manchester United, very weird, I'll just say. Um, I'm passing on this one. I do show a little bit of value on top end. You know, I have City about minus 135. You know, the last market's at minus 180. So if you could say there's a, a value side here, I would say it's Spurs with both their center backs healthy. Um, but I would like to see another match with City uh, and De Bruyne healthy. We've obviously seen it. But, uh, I would like to see if it's truly as good as it was against Newcastle, then it's going to be very hard to fade City going forward. But uh, all in all, I'm passing. So, yeah, for the first time, I mean, Romero and Van de Ven were healthy in the last match against United. And they were pretty good defensively on the road at United. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, Manchester United hasn't been a great defensive or attacking team this year. They're, they're kind of like league average and chance created. Uh, but Spurs held. United away from home to 0.8 expected goals, which is something they had not done. Uh, you know, kept an opponent under 1.3 xG. They had not done that since the Palace match, and really, I guess you could say the Forest match, uh, December 15th. So they had struggled. You know, conceding uh, th- over three xG to Brighton, one and a half to Everton, 1.7 to Bournemouth. Uh, they really struggled. Even the Burnley FA Cup match was not great in the third round. Tottenham, interestingly enough, have played the two cup matches differently. If you go look at uh, their performances against Fulham and Burnley. So Fulham was way back in August in the League Cup uh, second round, which they went out on penalties. Uh, and then this Burnley match, which Poro scores a late winner to win it, but it was a very like cagey kind of like not as gung-ho in the Cups, which I do find interesting. I'm not sure that I'm willing to buy that that's meaningful because it's only two games we're talking about. But uh, I think Tottenham you know, here potentially could also have Madison back. And yep. I think he's going to feature. I don't know that he'll start in this match, but I think he'll feature. So now you're looking at this core team. You know, we talked about, like, look at what Tottenham is missing. No James Madison. No Benton Kerr earlier. Now he's back. No uh, Basuma, Saar, Romero, and Vandeven. I mean, they played matches without all of these players. And now they're going to have them all. And look, I thought Timo Werner was excellent in his uh, debut for Tottenham. Yeah, of course, he gets the assist on the first goal for Spurs. Plays in Benton Kerr. 
he was a, a pretty effective player for Tottenham. I know he had a couple like highlight reel shots that went into Rosette. But in terms of adding quality, he ended up with five shots, 0.3 expected goals, uh, and three shot-creating actions, and two goal-creating actions. He was a big part of this team, and he's probably the, the natural son replacement. Obviously, he's not the same level of finisher and goal scorer, but in terms of adding value in possession and helping to progress the ball forward, I mean, Werner was their best attacking player in the game against United. So I think it's an immediate upgrade for the attack. I think Spurs are worth a look here. I took them plus three, plus 365. Uh, to advance about 20 minutes before we hop on this pod, because I just think that uh, in a in a road cup match, there's a lot more variance in these cups, and thus, uh, you know, with City kind of shuffling through and figuring out, you know, trying to kick into gear here, uh, they could be a little bit vulnerable. So I took some Tottenham, getting healthy, trending up uh, our Spurs, and like you said, with Richarlison as well, I mean, he's been really effective this season for Tottenham, and they've needed him because they haven't had a, you know, they still Kane, they don't really have a striker striker, and they're getting. Really good production out of uh, Richarlison, 0.63 XG per 90 uh, from Richarlison. is something he never did at Everton. So this is the career best numbers for him uh, and 10 goals and assists in 1190s. So impressive from him, impressive from Tottenham getting healthy here. And uh, I think they're undervalued because the market is downgrading them off of a lot of performances where they were really shorthanded. Keep in mind, like City's right around where they were against Everton three weeks ago. And mm-hmm. the current version of Tottenham healthy is much better than the current version of Everton. That's true. So I'm, I'm riding with, with Tottenham, betting on Spurs, something I haven't done very often uh, in the second half of this season thus far. The other highlight match, uh, Chelsea hosting Aston Villa, Friday afternoon, 2.45 p.m. Villa have had some injury issues early in the season. They've otherwise stayed pretty healthy for the majority of this middle portion of the season. They're now visiting Stamford Bridge, and we just saw, you know, Chelsea take advantage of Middlesbrough's high line and kind of play them off the park in a, in a 6-1 second leg drubbing. And I kind of think this is a great matchup for Chelsea. I know uh, these two teams played at the bridge in the league. Chelsea was minus 105 in that match. Uh, they created over 1.5 XG. They got in behind a ton against Villa. Emmy made some big saves. They missed some big chances. And then Villa got a, it was a red card, and then Villa hit them on the break. Watkins made it 1-0. So. Overall, I like the over here. I also like Chelsea, but I think the over is the better play at two and a half minus one twenty-five. BJ, you're in agreement. Yeah, I am. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. There is that Middlesbrough playing that high line. We it was a good picture to see if Chelsea could do that again to Aston Villa, which I fully expect them to be able to do. Um, probably Nolan Kunku here, which obviously hurts. He's a he's like the perfect like runner to get in behind uh, this high line, but. Broja does a, a great job of that as well. You know, he obviously played in a very transitional-based system at Southampton when he was getting regular minutes. So um, he's very capable of being that guy that runs in off Aston Villa's back line. And it's very hilarious because, you know, Aston Villa, even if they're up, you know, like we've, we saw when they played Manchester United, like even if they are up two goals, they are still keeping this condensed defensive block in their high line. Uh, I saw a stat that they have double. Um, the amount of offsides drawn as the second place team in the Premier League, just showing like how much Unai Emery believes in this type of system. And yeah, they might get Chelsea many times here, but you know, another match that kind of comes back, Anthony, I know it's not the exact same scenario, but when Tottenham played Chelsea and they went down to 10 and nine men and they just kept playing high line against, against Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea ripped them apart as well. And, you know, since the beginning of November, 
Although I do believe Chelsea is a tactically flawed team, I still don't, you know, they did start, the, the biggest thing that I've seen, and then a lot of people have pointed out on Twitter as well, is that, you know, Enzo Fernandez is like the, the, the prototypical number eight, and he's like perfect at this guy who can be a deep line playmaker and build up and really help Chelsea out, and they just weren't using him like that. And they were pushing him forward as number 10 and wanting him to contribute more in terms of goals. Well, when Chelsea wants to build out, whether it be a 3-2-5 or 3-1-6, if he's up on that last line of defense, you're taking away his best ability, which is creating and progressing the ball and getting the ball into the final third. They did that more against against Middlesbrough, which is an encouraging sign for Chelsea. But in any case, since the beginning of November, they have created the most expected goals of anybody in the Premier League. Like this offense is still really, really good. The biggest thing here as well is that not only has Aston Villa played a high line, but Aston Villa is also the worst team in the Premier League defending set pieces. And Chelsea is number one in the Premier League in XG for set piece. So there's another advantage for Chelsea in this match as well. The flip side of the coin is, is that you know, Aston Villa is obviously going to build out of the back. Chelsea is a very, very good pressing team. You know, they are third in passes for defensive action and second in high turnovers so far in the Premier League. Like they are, they, their press can hit home and ca- cause a lot of problems here for Villa. But the other problem is, is when the press doesn't hit home and Villa is able to get through it, Chelsea's not a good transition defense team. So Aston Villa with Watkins and Diaby and many other guys running in, they can run in behind and get uh, at this Chelsea defense. So, you know, I project north of three goals here. So over two and a half, minus 125, uh, I think is, is great value for a match that should feature a ton of chances at both ends. Yeah, I think that, you know, I mean, Chelsea, everybody's talking about Cole Palmer and like rightly so. Uh, his his goals have been his goals have been okay. Like yeah, the penalties are doing a lot of work in terms of his goals. Uh, if you look at his numbers, right, nine goals in thirteen nineties, you're like, whoa, like that really pops off the page. He's producing about point three xg per ninety though. Like mm-hmm. it's really just a lot of penalties, non penalty xg. Um, he's gotten five penalties, so really it's four goals. But the four assists uh, with you know four five and a half expected assists as well. And XGA per 90 or XA per 90 at 0.4. Like he's putting up elite, elite striker, uh, you know, second striker kind of stuff because he can do all kinds of different roles. He's played out wide and he's been a great creator. He's getting good shot numbers. Uh, so he's kind of like a – I don't want to compare him to, to Kai Havertz, Germany Kai Havertz before he came to the Prem and really wasn't as good. But I, I get similar vibes of that from him. Mm. Kind of like he can play – three different roles and fill different things. And that's important for this Chelsea team because they don't really have a striker right now with Jackson out and Nkuku kind of also being a bit of a tweener. So Palmer has been the kind of the key to uh, sustaining this attack and, and it's clearly trending up. I mean, they put up uh, almost one and a half non-penalty XG on Fulham and, and uh, when they played these other top teams, it's when you've actually seen Chelsea's attack at its best. They've struggled against the low blocks. They've been much better against teams who are going to leave space in behind because that's what they're, their, their skill set is kind of uh, tailored to exploit. So I think it's a good matchup. And uh, I think, you know, Chelsea alts, team total over alts are, are worth a look here because this attack, given just how much they've underperformed, is going to have a run here where they go hot. And everybody says, oh, Chelsea has really solved it. And it won't really be the case. I'm just glad they ran hot for a bit mm-hmm. after running cold for a year and a half. But this Chelsea attack clearly trending upward. And uh, I think Palmer's the main key because they weren't getting like Mount isn't offering like last year wasn't offering a ton in terms of like forward passing, and like who's the who's the guy to unlock teams? They didn't really have that guy, which is why they struggled so much. And now with with Fernandez a little bit, but more so Palmer, they do have that guy. So I think yep. that's the biggest difference with Chelsea. And 
why I think they're going to beat Villa in the FA Cup. Uh, real quick, you know, we're we're not going to touch a ton on the other matches, but I know you like the squares parlay of the weekend. Yeah. Uh, I don't even uh, – uh, you put this in the dock. So what else do you have in the FA Cup? Uh, Brighton Everton parlay. Uh, Everton's playing Luton Town. Brighton's playing Sheffield United. <laughs> You're right. It is like the squares thing ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, FA but, Cup I, parlaying, parlaying FA Cup favorites. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is, especially uh, Ever- especially Everton, know. right? Um yeah, Luton Town's still one of the worst Everton is, uh, their numbers have fallen off a bit lately. They have fallen off a bit, but also Luton Town away from home is is, is dreadful. Um, and their defense is terrible. So uh, I projected Everton like closer to minus 300, for what it's worth. Um, and I will be betting this, it's fallen, but we'll talk about it. This is the NFL time. equivalent of like the Ravens and the Chiefs are both <laughs> laying seven and a half. You know, and, like, and you're like, and I'm taking a tease. Yeah. yeah, I'm taking and a tease. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Parlay. Yeah, and a uh, cup match. Exactly. Well, it's plus 150. That's why we're parlaying together, Anthony. Um, and then the other one I like, I do like Bristol City plus a half at home against Nottingham Forest, like we mentioned with Forest. Not only are is basically you know half of their starting roster and most of their back line away at AFCON, but it looks like Alanga is also not going to play in this match. So they're going to be very limited against a, a team in the championship in Bristol City that is trending up and put in, you know, a very, you know, good performances both against West Ham, you know, beat them over essentially two legs because they had to play a replay. So those are the only two other two that I uh, liked in the championship. And you are going to be fading your Reds? Not only fading my Reds, but fading them at Anfield. I just think it's a bad oh, spot. Right? What? No, nobody loses, though, there. Well, nobody win, nobody wins there. That's true. And then, uh, look, they don't need to win. Uh, but. Liverpool, right? So we know that Salah and Trent are out and not going to play in the Wednesday League Cup match, nor will they play in the FA Cup. We're going to get a backup keeper because I expect, you know, we're recording this Wednesday at 1 o'clock Eastern, so it's before we get lineups for the League Cup match between Liverpool and Fulham on Wednesday. We'll know whether or not Liverpool's in the Cup final or not by the time you listen to this, by the time this is even posted. But I do expect Liverpool to advance. They're minus 1,000 to do so against Fulham. Even if they don't, like, this is a low-priority match for Jurgen Klopp, and I fully expect this is the kind of spot where you could get a team pick them off, right? Because Liverpool's going to mm-hmm. rotate. I don't expect Van Dyke necessarily to play. You could see Kwanzaa. You could see Konate get a rest because those guys have played a lot of matches this month. Like, we've talked about how, you know, there's kind of been a little bit of a break. But with Liverpool losing a couple key guys to APCON, having no other attackers they rely on, and then only having Virgil and, and Konate in like the circle of trust, having to play Gomez a ton at, at fullback because of Alexander-Arnold and Robertson's injuries means they don't really have a ton of depth and cover. And it feels like to me with Liverpool clinching its spot Wednesday in the Cup in the final in the EFL and then having Chelsea in the league Wednesday and then Arsenal next weekend, that this is the kind of match where Klopp, who's notoriously punted Cups, is going to say, hey, look, like we can't really go all in here. We need to rest and rotate. So. Uh, you could see a ton of, of backups playing, uh, playing the kids. You know, like, does Nunez start? Does Jota, who's had injury problems, does he start? Uh, all these guys could miss. They could just play the reserves. Uh, and at that case, like, Norwich is catching two and a half, and the team totals at minus 130. I think that's crazy. Uh, I think Norwich is live to, to advance here and, and pull off an upset. So I think this is a great example of, like, favorite, overvalued, and not necessarily motivated in a terrible sandwich spot where they don't really, you know, seem to care. Um, especially since they're going to be playing for a cup uh, against Chelsea uh, in the Carabao. So uh, I, I like Norwich big time here. 
not a not a bet that I'm going to like make a huge wager on, but something that I will definitely be sprinkling alternate prices on, just because there's so much variance in these cups. And um, you know, people ask like, do you bet the cups heavily? Not necessarily, but when spots like no. this come around, I'm all in. So, let me know which. <laughs> So like this is that also like reckons from like well two years ago when Norwich was in the Premier League and they were like already relegated and we just kept betting them to like score like every match. Norwich to, like, that was the famous the famous Norwich to score. They were like plus yeah. one thirty against Liverpool. They had like a first minute goal vard off and then and then they scored like the fiftieth minute and that was just you know that was euphoria. That was the yeah. that was the beginning of of Liverpool's defense being just kind of overrated for a while, which they were. Yeah. Now I actually think uh, the defense is underrated when. Van Dyke and Kunate play, which I don't expect them to. Also, McAllister, like they've had a lot of guys in and out with injuries. So, mm-hmm. how they manage this match will be fascinating. And I will be on Norwich uh, for sure. Will I get you to join me? I, if if Leibop were maybe. here, maybe say, yeah, he, he would, would say, say Norwich, Norwich money line. Norwich money line. What is the Norwich, money line? Norwich alt. Gonna guess. Norwich's money line here. Yeah. Um, I know they're at least two and a half goal underdogs. So, they're probably about 30 to 1, 25 to 1, somewhere on there. Yeah, they're lined at fourteen to one at bet three sixty five, which is okay. way, way okay. short. Um, that is fair Liverpool short, minus yeah. eight hundred. They're taking a lot of juice there, but um, yeah, like you know, if you wanted it to, like I think maybe the best way is like Norwich plus a half, and then yeah. Norwich to advance. Uh, which Norwich to advance yeah. to the next round uh, is sixteen to one. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. All right, that'll do it for the FA Cup. Lots of uh, fun underdogs and BJ's parlay of favorites to uh, mm-hmm. get us into uh, the final weekend before we get like constant prem action from now until May. So that'll be good. Let's go into Germany where Leverkusen broke our hearts again. Yep. Leipzig completely dominated the Sweet. first 30 minutes of the match. I mean, over and over again, up the left wing constantly. Uh, Xavi Simons was the, was the best player on the pitch for the majority of the match. And then Leipzig's up 2-1. Like, it was a pretty even match at that point. Uh, you know, Leverkusen had turned the tables and kind of, you know, found some solves at halftime for what Leipzig was overloading them. They got Grimaldo more involved. And then they just, of course, they scored two set-piece goals. Leipzig falls asleep on about two, the, two uh, set-pieces. Should we talk about the title? I think we should. And now, I mean, this I is it, right? right? This is it. Bayern, uh, Bayern, Bayern, loses, Bayern loses to Werder Bremen. Or Werder Bremen, excuse me. Um, and right now, it is basically a pick You can find Bayern as low as minus 120 to win the Bundesliga. We have Leverkusen, you know, minus 110 um, at most books. Now, I believe, would be the time to buy. Now, obviously, when you're listening to this, Bayern is four points behind Leverkusen if they beat Union Berlin in their makeup match, which I fully expect them to do so. Um, they play each other on February 10th at Leverkusen, which will be a huge, huge match. Now, here's the thing. And I wrote about Bayern on Wednesday for uh, my daily column on expected goals because I wanted to take a deep dive into because they are putting up just insane underlying numbers. 
And it's not just, you know, Harry Kane's obviously amazing. The offense is amazing, like it always usually is. But the defense has drastically improved from years past. You know, it, when it, they were under Hansi Flick, they were allowing close to around one expected goal per 90 minutes. Like they were, you know, we, we talked about them a lot, how they were kind of flawed in transition. They were playing too much of a dangerous high line, and they were getting caught out many times there. And then even under Nagelsmann, it got a little bit better, but it wasn't. It still wasn't like elite, elite defensive type number stuff. And now this season, with the addition of Kim Min Jae and Upamakano uh, having a resurgence this season, those two paired alongside each other have really transformed this Bayern defense essentially into being an elite defense because they're only allowing 0.67 non-penalty XG per 90 minutes. That is, I believe, second best in Europe behind only Juventus. That's amazing for Bayern. And they're obviously, you know, with Harry Kane, they're putting up, what, like two and a half expected goals per 90 minutes or even well well more than that. Leverkusen is going to be without Boniface until, I believe, April. Um, So they're going to be without him for quite a while. They've been overperforming, like drastically overperforming, which we've talked about. It's it's not just Boniface. He's actually underperforming his XG. It's all these other guys, you know, Grimaldo and, and, um, Excuse me. All the other all the other guys around them have been overperforming their xG. At some point, they're going to rest. At some point, they're going to stop scoring uh, you know goals in stoppage time. Um, you know, the schedule week. we've 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 played essentially the first half of the Bundesliga season. So the schedule you know it's the same for both of them. It's not really you know that uh, drastic of a difference. But Bayern's underlying numbers are are drastically better than Leverkusen's. Leverkusen's going to be without their best striker for a couple months now, and it's only a four point gap it's not a drastic gap that uh Bayern needs to overcome so if they can win that match at Leverkusen which you know the match that they played against Leverkusen the 2-2 draw earlier in the season that was probably the worst defensive performance that Bayern's had all season so far outside of maybe Galatasaray but they've other than that match they have been unbelievably good defensively in the Bundesliga so um you know their ability to also counter press because they keep overloading the middle of the pitch makes it very, very difficult for teams to play through the middle. So a lot of teams that have played direct against Bayern haven't been as good as they have been in years past. So with Bayern having I mean, significantly better underlying numbers than Leverkusen at this point in the season, there is going to be some regression for Leverkusen. I'm going to say right now that Leverkusen will lose a match by the end of the season. You can quote me on That's that. bold. At some point, they're going to lose the a invincible match. Invincible's loading. Exactly. Uh I'm not going to do some like uh, Chris Mad Dog here and be like, if Leverkusen doesn't lose in a match, I'll retire. No, I'm not going to do that. But um, that match against Bayern, if Bayern beats them on February 10th, I mean, Bayern's going to be back to minus 300 to, to win the Bundesliga. So now is the best time, I believe, to buy on Bayern to win the title. Do you agree? Yes. Uh, I think we're going to get Bayern going to be plus money there. I think they should be. Yeah, they probably will be. They should be. I mean, they, you know, Bayern closed minus 110 at Dortmund and minus 120 at Leipzig uh, in their other two road matches this season. Bayern's had two losses in the league, right? And, mm-hmm. and so you can't kind of overreact to just how good they've been or underreact. Uh, because, yeah, I know what the table says. Right now there's seven points, likely to be four. But this, this Leverkusen defense for me is, is more concerning than the attack, even. Because, uh, yeah, of course, like, they're not going to continue scoring at this rate. Grimaldo, and the last two, uh, you know, matches, they score in stoppage time, you know, basically off of one off a set piece, one off of open play. And they're getting winners from, you know, Incapié, 
and Ezekiel Palacios. Like these are not your traditional goal scorers and you know, net net, I think that this team as good as they've been, uh, we we've seen like the best already of them. And yeah. I still I hate these narratives because I, I, I try to avoid them, but something does feel off about Bayern. I just can't figure out what it is because it doesn't show up in any of the numbers. It's just like mm-hmm. when you watch them sometimes it feels off. And then obviously like the Champions League wasn't particularly good and we I've gone back and forth on Bayern a lot. Uh, on this show and, and, and lost money fading them at, at a couple of times. But I kind of think that uh, this is the lowest it's going to get. If yep. you look at Bayern's schedule, right? Uh, Bayern, you know, they'll get Leipzig and Dortmund at home. They'll go to Stuttgart and they'll go to Leverkusen. So from a from matchups and, and scheduling perspective, Leverkusen does have it slightly easier. But yeah, I think now it's the, the, the floor. And the pressure that builds. I mean, the pressure is all on Leverkusen, who famously, yeah. if you don't know this, is nicknamed Neverkusen because they never yeah. win the Bundesliga. So I won. think the pressure builds on them, not on Bayern as much. Um, so that kind of manifests itself. And uh, I think yeah, and I mean, we see a regression. And here's the thing is that as well, you know, Bayern, we fully expect them to make a deep run in the Champions League. But if they get drawn, mm-hmm. they will get somebody good and they don't. They'll the be Leverkusen. They'll be Lazio, but let's just say they get drawn uh, against City again, and they and they lose to them, and they're out of the Champions League. They're out of the DFB Pokal as well, and Leverkusen is still in that competition. Leverkusen is probably going to make a very deep run in the Europa League, so Leverkusen could be juggling two different competitions later in the season when Bayern isn't. And when we get into uh, April, there is a stretch where. Leverkusen has to play Dortmund, Stuttgart, and Frankfurt all back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. That could be pinned up against uh, a Europa League a quarter or semifinal. And I'm not sure what the DFP Pokal schedule looks like right now, but it could have another cup match along that. So things could stack up here for Leverkusen, where Bayern could be just potentially playing one match a week and gearing up and, and making a big run. So, yeah, I, I don't think you're going to get a better number than minus 120 on Bayern to win the Bundesliga. I don't think it's going to get to plus money. The only way to get to plus money is if they lose to Leverkusen uh, on that date on February 10th. They still, you know, and they truly do fall seven points behind them. Then that would still be a mountain decline, but it's still not that big of a mountain as long as Leverkusen just finally loses a match. So, um, sorry, I've gone kind of long on this, but I think this is. This is one of the the rare times that we see one of these like elite teams, like like Bayern, at a decent number to actually win the Bundesliga. Yeah, which they, they've done Europa like ten League times in a row. Finals, yeah, Europa League semifinals would fall May second, May 9th. so they would they would come on the heels of that run that they have. Uh, yeah, and then you know from a European perspective, I'd be very annoyed if Leipzig if Leverkusen punted Europa because I have a future on them and a very good number uh, Me because too. I thought. Like you know, and they would did you punt that, and then also just go win Germany when I didn't bet them uh, to win that. Yeah, uh, invested in Leipzig, so uh, yep. that would be a fun way to lose everything. So hopefully it doesn't happen. But you know, let's root for Leverkusen in Europe and root for uh, the legendary Bayern to repeat, even though it's kind of boring. Let's move it on is, but these, la- but these last two years with uh, with Dortmund and now with Leverkusen, it's actually the Bundesliga is actually enthralling. The, the Harry Kane narratives are strong. It like is. If, if Kane doesn't win the Bundesliga this year, <laughs> they don't. They're not going to win the Champions League, and they're not winning the Pokal. Like you said, they're already out because they lost to Saarbrücken. They all of a sudden like the Kane narrative started, and I really don't want to have to deal with that. 
from from Harry Kane haters, of which yeah. there are many for some reason. So I really uh, I'm hoping ring for Bayern. It just feels wrong. But anyway, yeah. as we move on to this weekend slate, I'm gonna bet Dortmund and Bochum over uh, three and a half at plus one fifteen. I think it's too low. I know it's crazy because. I've joked in the past about Dortmund unders because generally their defense was better than this and their attack ran hot. But it's actually kind of been the opposite. Like, Kobel has saved a ton of goals for this defense, which has not been good under any circumstance. They pumped Cologne last weekend. Good call, BJ. Uh, we both had that. They still conceded 1.3 XG to Cologne yep. uh, and looked terrible at times. Like, a better attacking team would have taken advantage in transition of just how bad this Dortmund team is. I think Bochum's the team to do it. Welcome's defense away from home is conceding over two XG per match. It's been a consistent trend for multiple years now at Bochum where when they're at home, they, they give a solid effort. They're much, much more uh, compact on the road. It's just been a train wreck. They've gotten housed a bunch of times here, including by Leverkusen a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think the total's low at three and a half. It should be three, seven, five. So give me the over. Dortmund also now with Madsen and Sancho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming from United and Chelsea, like have clearly looked leveled up last weekend. Uh, this is a Dortmund attack that you know created uh, at least two and a half XG in three of its last four uh, against you know, similar but maybe even better defenses than Bochum and against Osberg, Darmstadt, Cologne. So I'm buying this Dortmund attack right now. I think the market's a little short on it, and I'm still selling the hell out of this defense. So I mean, Bochum, mm-hmm. who's, who's been pretty good in transition, really good um, in transition. So over three and a half. Yeah, I like uh, Freiburg drawing up that even money on the road against Werder Bremen coming off that huge upset of Bayern Munich. But the reality is, is that when you look at any of Werder Bremen's metrics, they are a below average team in the Bundesliga. And they are you know, sitting in 13th place, so that they are right where they belong. Defense is allowing 1.73 XG per 90 minutes. Uh, they they play out of either like, you know, 3-4-3 or 3-5-2. It's essentially five guys on the back line. And they haven't been very good at it. Um, they, like I said, they've been allowing a ton of expected goals, but especially against some of the better teams in the Bundesliga, I guess the top eight teams, they played nine matches against them and allowed 19.2 expected goals. They're also a team that's very, very reliant on transition opportunities to create most of their chances. And they're playing a team in Freiburg that kind of plays the exact same way. Um, they're, they're not as like trying to get quick transitions. Like Freiburg is actually a very slow team, like going forward. But what they want to do is they play very, like I've, we've mentioned many times, they're a very similar team to that at Brentford in the fact that they want to get the ball out wide and they want to swing in crosses. And they're very, very good at doing that. And that is something that Werder Bremen is very average at defending. And also the thing with Freiburg is, is they are one of the best set piece teams historically in the Bundesliga. You know, this season, they are top four in XG per set piece. Well, Werder Bremen is one of the worst teams at defending set pieces. So uh, Freiburg's been in great form. You know, they played, you know, last four matches, they played three teams in the bottom half of the table. In those four matches, they've racked up 9.3 expected goals and seven big scoring chances. So the offense is really coming through, and I really don't think they should be underdogs, even if they are on the road against uh, Werder Bremen here. So Freiburg, draw no bet, leave money. All right, let's move on to Italy. Uh, the The two bets I had in Germany and Italy last weekend could not have gone in a more painful fashion. Because uh, Milan continues to own me. Uh, they were up 1-0, then they were down 2-1. Then they scored twice in the last 10 minutes to win the match, including uh, Okafor on, a, of course, another set-piece. Set-piece defense has been the bane of my existence this year. You are going back to the well to fade Milan. 
Yeah, it's my turn this time. With our, our Bolognese boys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love Bologna here. Um, I think Milan is drastically overvalued. You know, you, they're as high as minus 155 at, at some books. So I love Bologna plus a half at plus 125. And here's the thing. I know you've talked about Milan a lot and how essentially they've overformed their XG. You know, they have 41 goals up a 32.7 expected. The progression numbers and the getting into the final third numbers are actually pretty encouraging for Milan. Like the offenses, you know, underlying metrics are not like elite, like, like teams like Inter or Napoli. They're still good. Like they're not, a, like they're not a bad, uh, you know, offense. The problem is, is that Olivier Giroud is like the only attacker over a 0.3 XG per 90 minutes. Said him, like you mentioned, like I was been down. Pulisic is like having a crazy uh, run right now in terms of finishing. The main problem for Milan is their defense. Like I know that, um, it only says they're allowing 1.1 non penalty XG per 90 minutes. Well, scoring in Italy is way down this season, and so 1.1 is 11th <laughs> in Serie A. They're allowing the fifth most shots. And they're allowing an incredibly high expected threat. And really what it comes down to is Pioli wants his team to man mark all over the all over the pitch. Which if they have their full roster, it's fine. But Tamori is out until middle of the Fe- middle of February. Chow is out as well. So basically their two best center backs are are not available. So when you want to man mark, especially a team like Bologna that has uh, a guy like Xerxy who's having an incredible season. You know, Xerxes is, is interesting because I wrote about him when I did a, you know, a futures column for, um, for Serie A, but he's a deep line playmaker. So like he'll come back and really aid in buildup. So when teams want to play man to man against them, like he's going to pull center backs and whoever else with him along with it and create space for everybody else, which, and Bologna really likes to do these things called micro transitions, which is essentially like line breaking passes or like these really quick, like movements to get in behind defenses. So if Xerxes is coming back and build up and just pulling guys all around the pitch with him, like it's going to create a lot of space for all their other attackers. And Bologna is a very, very good defensive team as well. Only allowed 14.4 non-penalty XG uh, in 20 matches. They do a great job in defending their own penalty area. Only 48% of opponents' shots are coming from inside the 18-yard box. That's one of the best marks in, in Serie A outside of only uh, Juventus and Torino. So I only have Bologna at even money. I really like Bologna. Yeah, plus me too. Half, plus one twenty-five. Like this is a really good number on a really good team that's had a little a little bad run of form here. Um, you know, they got caught on the wrong side of variance against Fiorentina in uh, in Coppa Italia, and then they they lost to Cagliari in their in their most recent match, which basically nothing. Happened. They just got caught on the wrong side of variance. Yeah, no, Bologna's been like better than Milan for large parts of the season. Yep. Um, so. You know, are we overreacting to like a small sample? Because like we know what Bologna is. I mean, they've been like a league average Serie A team forever, but Milan has really not been impressive to me. And if you take out penalties from their numbers, they're barely above average themselves. So yeah, not a huge edge for me on Milan. I've got the minus one ten, and uh, so I, I you know plus one thirty, like you said, for them to get a result on the road, not a bad bet. Napoli, you know, we're buying the floor on Napoli. Yep. I think here, you know, Osimhen's gone and, and probably going to mail in the second half at this rate, but he's away at AFCON. So they're playing without him. And the attacking numbers without him are, are pretty average. There's not a ton to love here. But I wrote about this in the Copa Italia preview because I did the final. And uh, the market essentially steamed Inter up past what they closed against Lazio in the semifinal, which, look, I understand that this Napoli team has not been as good this year and 
since Mazzari has come in, their underlying numbers have taken a bit of a dip, but so much of their underlying failure has just been purely variance. Uh, and I, like I said, I wrote this in the preview for the, for the cup final, like their XG per 90 is down a bit this year, but again, so is the whole league and their, uh, their defensive numbers are marginally worse. So that's really where the most of the, the, the issues have come since firing Rudy Garcia. They have a plus 0.39 non-penalty XG difference per 90. That's like fourth best in Italy. Uh, but they actually have a negative goal difference. So they've run really cold. And as a result, like this market has gotten crazy sour on them. And I get like if Oshman's really important, but it's still a good team with capable attackers. Kavard Scalia, Politano is giving him good XA numbers. Um, like even uh, Simeone has been okay. Not great, but okay. Like he's having a career year from an XG perspective per 90 in a small sample. So really it's just been, okay, Napoli's clearly worse, but how much worse? And not worse enough to the point where they should be a dog at Lazio catching a quarter of a goal. So I like Napoli here, buying the dip, taking the uh, Naples on the road against Lazio. Also like Inter on the road against Fiorentina, I think minus 115, minus 115 is well too low for a team like Inter against it. Yeah, again, how bad, like overperforming Fiorentina has been. But I've, I think like I've talked about Fiorentina like every single week. So that's just a- uh, They just give up. Point. I mean, like it's, it's interesting because Fiorentina, like we talked about this team. We love this team in the past and we like them because they do really good stuff with pressing and possessing and keeping the ball. But their defense is more open this year. They're conceding mm-hmm. the by far the worst shots in the league. And when the whole league zigs and you zag- which is basically what Fiorentina has done this year. Like their defensive numbers have, they've been so open in a league that has become so condensed that you run the risk of running both ends of the extreme, right? If you have a hot, you know, defensive finishing run, you're not allowing a ton of shots, but you're allowing a ton of big chances. If they go in, you're screwed. And if they don't, you can run really hot for a while and kind of mask it. And they're in that stage right now where teams haven't really finished well against them and it's made them look better than they actually are. Whereas if they fall behind in these games and the games start to change, I even worry the defense could fall even further because they have to take more chances because they're playing from behind more. So I think that this inter team could run it up on Fiorentina. It wouldn't shock me. Uh, I think generally the market, like inter coming off this big super cup trip and the big win, like it could be flat here, tricky road spot. But uh, I think from a number perspective, it is a little short as well. Yeah. And also inter is a team that doesn't even have the ball. Like they're really, really good at playing a transition and Fiorentina is like one of the highest uh, possession dominant teams in Serie A, so Inter can just torch them on the break over and over again. All right, let's go to Italy. let's go to uh, Spain. Game of the year. It's so funny, man. The market on these two <laughs> teams has been so much fun. Like Girona goes to play, Vigo. I can't play this game. Like this is I can't play I, it either. It's crazy. They keep upgrading Vigo every time they lose. I know. Every time Vigo loses, the market bumps them up, and it's because they obviously haven't been as bad as their numbers. Uh, they got beat by Sociedad pretty comfortably twice at home. And that was just really funny, right? So Sociedad is, you know, we gave out Vigo. I think I gave out Vigo or maybe you did. Uh, or maybe both time. of us. We both yeah. we, we both we both bet it. Plus 130 against Sociedad last weekend, draw no bet. Uh, Sociedad comes out with a lineup. No Marino, no Zubamendi, no Kubo. Vigo no closes Oyathab- a minus no one. Th- no Oyathab- <laughs> Sociedad closes a plus 125 underdog. Like Vigo was a clear favorite. Basically the line flipped. And uh, I knew from like the right then and there we were in, we were in deep shit. And it turns out yeah. we were. 
comfortable road win for Sociedad, 1-0. Vigo never really looked like scoring. And then they did it again in the Cup on Tuesday uh, in the Copa del Rey, 2-1 to Sociedad, dominant again. So now the first-placed team, Girona, is visiting the 16th-placed team <laughs> in La Liga. That is the equivalent of Liverpool going on the road to Nottingham Forest, right? What do you think the line would be if Liverpool went to Nottingham Forest tomorrow? Minus 220, minus 230, something like that. Right. Maybe a little shorter because of Salah. You know, minus 28 yeah. minimum. Now, Girona is a pick'em. Yep. At Vigo. Almost, and like, it's so funny. Me, on, some, I tweeted about it. I, I, I agree. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Girona is a little shorthanded right now. And I would never, ever, ever bet them in this. Like, if they were lined, they were lined as a dog. I would consider it. But mm-hmm. they, I mean, Vigo hasn't been better than Girona this year under no, the numbers. No, 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 that's not. No, it's not. Even close. We're talking about a league average team and a Girona side that's like a deserving top four candidate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I will not. I will not be betting my Super Bowl, and that's just lame from a market perspective. I mean, give yeah, me a shot, right? It's not fun. Just let us lose our money. Come on. Yeah, if they just give me like. Plus a half or a quarter, I would have taken it. Yeah, but uh, they won't. They won't let us. I cannot. I cannot bet Vigo. You know, like you could sell me on a team total for Vigo, just because this Girona defense is such a fraud. I don't know, but but (laughs) exactly, it's really tough watching. I don't know. (laughs) The Girona's defense is bottom half, though. I know, but I I watched that entire Sociedad Vigo match, and like Vigo had one cross that they maybe should have scored, and outside of that, they did. Literally nothing. Yeah, but Sociedad's defense is considerably better. They are. I'm. I'm. Uh, I can't do I it. I think uh, it's <laughs> it's so tough. It's so tough. the market is pretty good at this point in the season, so that makes yeah. you know, finding these big edges tough. Yeah. Uh, Valencia is an edge for me against Atleti. I think Atleti is generally overvalued because they don't defend anymore. Their defensive numbers have really fallen off. Uh, they're they're sixth in XGA in La Liga. Uh, if you just watch them, like they're conceding over one per match. Uh, and it just like as good as Marata and Griezmann have been, and they continue to just not age yep. like this Valencia defense is elite. And I think they can, you know, keep this game close and kind of grind it down. So catching yep. over a goal. I like Valencia. I like Osasuna plus a half against Sevilla, another Sevilla fade, but the market just continues Those to, continue to pay, man. Well, they continue to price them like they're an above-average La Liga team. Not even like a top-four candidate anymore, but like they continue to price them like they're just an above-average La Liga team, which is just not the case. Um, I feel like I've talked about them every single week, but you know this offense has actually been really bad. Like they're only averaging one point zero three non-penalty xG per ninety minutes, despite being you know top five expected threat, final third entries, and shots, lowest xG per shot in La Liga, and have also taken the third fewest shots inside the six-yard box. So just Really, once they get in the final third, they don't really have any creative aspect to get a good chance. And the only like good, good chances they get are just swinging in crosses to end the series. Well, he's not there. He's with Morocco at AFCON right now. Um, he is the only, he obviously, you know, is leading them in, in goals and shots per 90. Um, he's the also the only attacker only above a 0.2 XG per 90 minute scoring rate. So they have literally nobody uh, besides him. And I don't really know who they're going to start up top against an Osun team that has been improving. You know, over since the beginning of December, they're they're top five and expect a goal differential. Like they're a team that 
uh, likes to get the ball wide and swing in crosses, which is something that Sevilla has struggled against. You know, Sevilla also have bad transition defense. So um, really don't see a scenario where Sevilla should be a, basically around even money favorite at home. They're also playing on Thursday against Atleti in the Copa del Rey, so short rest for Sevilla. And since the beginning of October, Sevilla has won one match in La Liga, and it was against Granada at home. And Granada is, for all intents and purposes, probably the worst or second worst team in La Liga this season, currently sitting in the relegation zone. So uh, Osasuna, plus a half, minus 120 for me. All right, uh, you have something in France, and then you have something. Let's let's talk Afcon. Yeah, real quick. Reims minus one fifteen against Nantes. Uh, Reims is a little shorthanded because you know some of their key players are at Afcon and uh, the Asian Cup, but they had a really good performance against Monaco, being them three one on the road, winning the XG battle without all of those key players. Will Still is a great tactician; he can really maneuver his team around very well. And Nantes is a below average team in, in Ligue 1. Very very bad team on the road. So minus one fifteen, I think, is a, is Way too cheap of a price for a team that this good. And let's talk about AFCON because it's been fun. It's been a really fun tournament. Um, we are profitable for those that have been reading yeah. unexpected goals. That's true. Unexpected goals, hanging out, and always, you know, I've been giving out a lot of stuff in our Discord as well. So if you're somebody who wants to follow along during this tournament, I've been giving out a lot of thoughts and some some early bets in uh, in our Discord. So make sure you join that. Uh, me and Anthony are in there pretty much every single day. But we are recording this on Wednesday. Um, afternoon. We're right in the middle. Mali and Namibia are nil-nil. Same thing with Tunisia and South Africa. So, if all things hold, Mali is going to win the group and be paired in the same section, not the, for the round of 16, but the same section as Senegal. But we have one opener out right now as we record this, and it's Nigeria-Cameroon. And I think it's a terrible opener, quite frankly. I think it's horrible. Nigeria is sitting at about plus 150 on the three-way money line. You know, Cameroon is plus 215. I've spoken about Nigeria a lot. I have them to win the AFCON. I think they're, they are the first or second best team in Africa, um, at least top three, uh, along with Morocco and Senegal. They've looked fine so far this AFCON. They obviously, their first match against Equatorial Guinea has was, you know, a crazy uh, luck box draw for Equatorial Guinea because Nigeria created close to three and a half expected goals and drew 1-1. Um, they had a good performance, you know, in a very cagey match against the Ivory Coast. Um, and then, you know, they didn't do much against Guinea-Bissau, but they were very, very good defensively. And that's something that can carry them through this tournament. Like I said, coming into the tournament, they were number one in Africa and expected goals allowed per 90 minutes. And they've continued that into this tournament so far. Cameroon, if you didn't watch it, go watch the highlights because the final, you know, uh, 10 minutes, 15 was, minutes, it was 15 nuts. minutes was, was absolutely insane. You know, Cameroon scored to go up one, nothing like Gambia immediately answered them. Cameroon came back uh, and, and scored again. Uh, excuse me. Gambia went up two one and it looked like they were going through at one point. Uh, and Cameroon scored like literally like a one minute later off of an own goal. Uh, and then scored again deep into stoppage time. And then it looked like Gambia had gotten a, a clincher, a 3-3 draw, um, and they did the replay. And uh, 
it was like a famous Diego, Diego Maradona hand of God like move. He basically just like slapped them all into the nets. Almost a melee out. between the bench and oh, the ref. Yeah. It was it was an incredible it, it was theater. Crazy. It was it was incredible theater. It was crazy. But anyway, Cameroon's at, at like at like one thirty in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Exactly. And uh, what else do you want? I mean, this tournament has been uh, incredible. But yeah, so it looks like uh, so those two are going to play. Now, Cameroon, if you don't know, has been a very, very underwhelming team in Africa for quite a long time now. They obviously were at the World Cup and they played a couple, you know, crazy matches. They beat Brazil in a match that you know didn't matter at all. But this version of Cameroon is significantly less talented than the team that was at the World Cup, and comparatively to what Nigeria has, they are way, way better than them. That is the only opener that we have out right now for Afcon. One thing I'll just tell everybody to look at right there. I have to talk about Equatorial Guinea and what they did to win Group A. Um, so they scored. You know they had a, a they had a crazy. They beat the Ivory Coast in their own country for nothing, and they lost the XG battle in that match one point two to two point two. They got outshot twenty two to nine. So they basically just scored on every single shot that they had. It was crazy overall for the group stage they had nine goals for three goals against only about three and a half expected goals for and about six and a half against they basically overperformed by about nine goals in three matches during the group stage they're gonna play guinea in the guinea derby uh for the for the round of 16 um if uh if Guinea is anything plus 120 or better i will be hammering that line as well um but for some futures out there, Guinea is still 50 to 1 to win this tournament. Since they draw Equatorial Guinea, they're going to get the winner of Egypt and uh, the DR Congo, um, which is a great path to get to the semifinals where they will play most likely either the Ivory Coast, Senegal, or Mali, which, you know, obviously wouldn't be that great of a matchup, but you can get a team that's essentially 50 to 1 into a semifinal and with a shot to get into the final. So, um, you know, the Nigeria first rule is still of Afcon is to expect chaos. Expect chaos. That's right. I mean, Ghana's going home. If you didn't watch what happened to Ghana, they were up two nothing, and they conceded two stoppage time goals, and they're going home, uh, which is crazy. So Algeria, Algeria's going home. They lost to Mauritania um, <laughs> the other day, which uh, famously in the Discord said they should pump them. Um, they did not. Um, they got beat. No such thing. Um, no such thing as an undervalued favorite in yes. Afcon. <laughs> Exactly. Big favorite, at least. Yeah, exactly. So it's been a crazy tournament. It's been a lot of fun. The round of 16 should provide a lot more chaos. I mean, we're probably going to be in a situation here where the where Senegal is going to have to play the Ivory Coast in the first round uh, because the Ivory Coast finished third in their group, despite being the home nation. Um, and there's... Tough matchup. Like a, a tough matchup, but there's going to be a lot of just like... Uh, like, for example, uh, you know, since Kate Faraday won their group as well, they're going to play Maritana in the round of 16. <laughs> like, it's, it's, uh, I mean, whoever it's, wins it's that crazy. matchup is, it gets, yeah, gets Senegal so that... and, and gets the winner of Senegal Cameroon. So it's like, you know, if you want to get on Nigeria right now, like, they're still, it's, you know, seven to one or eight to one out there if you want to get it on them now. Um, so yeah, it's been crazy. Uh, so yeah, a couple ones I looked at were Nigeria. I've already bet them pretty heavily, draw no bet at minus 140. And then if Guinea opens, at plus one twenty or better, which I do expect them to. Um, although the market has been pretty sour on Equatorial Guinea throughout this entire tournament so far. I mean, they were ten to one against the Ivory Coast. Um, so, 
we'll see what happens. But it's been a crazy tournament so far. Again, if you want to follow along with AFCON, I've been giving out picks on my Twitter. You can read my daily column, Unexpected Goals, or if you join the Action Network Discord soccer channel, I've been giving out picks there and kind of following along with the tournament as well. So if you want to get involved with AFCON there, and the Asian Cup Round 16 um, as well will be starting there. There is a shot that Japan had a shock loss to the to Iraq. So they finished second in their group. And there is a scenario where if South Korea, they have to overcome a two-goal uh, deficit um, because uh, Jordan beat Malaysia 4 nothing. that South Korea, if they overcome that and finish first in their group, they get drawn with Japan in the round of 16. And then Iran waits for them in the quarterfinals. So the three best teams all drawn the into the same section of the draw. Section. So if that if that happens, I put this in the Discord this morning. If that all happens, I would bet Australia at seven to one because they're packed. They'll get essentially a third place team, and then they'll get Saudi Arabia, who's a team that I don't think is really that good. Uh, basically, better even expecting a differential team over the last two years, um, and despite beating Argentina in a fluke game in uh, that was ha- that was a Hervé special. That was a Hervé special. He's not there anymore. I know. Um, and uh, so, yeah, if that happens, Australia has a like cake draw outside of playing Saudi Saudi Arabia to the final. So, um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. So, futures in in uh, the Asian Cup are uh, are kind of up for grabs right now with the top half of the bracket. If but the, but then here's the other thing is like if South Korea decides, you know what? Maybe we just maybe we just pass the ball around and we play for a draw because if they do that, they're going to be paired in the top half of the uh, of the of the bracket, away from Japan and away from Iran, away from uh, Qatar as well. So it's very very interesting. All that's going to go down tomorrow morning uh, as you're you know listening to this on Thursday, and probably it already has happened. But uh, yeah, it's been a couple crazy tournaments so far. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun, and uh, let's hope we can continue having some fun. Absolutely, you have an underdog. We're not going to do a full uh, parlay thing because Michael's not here. But Yeah, that's true. Uh, if I had to do underdog, I'll do Bristol City against uh, Nottingham Forest. will be my underdog. And I will go with Osasuna against Sevilla, who doesn't yep. have a striker or a defense. Yep. So that'll be our dogs. Well, uh, I don't even know what that parlay pays out to. It's only two legs. We won't count it as like a big win, obviously. But th- those will be the dogs. Uh, I think we did Udinese last week, which was in hilarious fashion loss. But that yeah. will do it for this episode of Wonder Goal. Uh, Michael will actually be back. I said that last week that he'd be back, but he will actually be on the show uh, on Monday's episode as we preview the Premier League, which makes its return. A full Premier League slate, which we have not had since uh, December, uh, heading into January. So we have a full Premier League slate. There's some really good matchups. Liverpool, Chelsea, Newcastle, Villa, Tottenham, Brentford, uh, Arsenal, Forest. So some really fun ones to get into. We're going to get to that on Monday. We'll we'll probably do some AFCON uh, and Asia Cup as well as we get further into those tournaments knockout start uh i believe saturday for those tournaments so that will be entertaining as well thanks to bj cunningham for joining me thanks to bet 365 thanks to noah our producer and everybody who makes this podcast go we will see you next week and we will see you in the discord channels uh between now and then thanks for everybody for listening action network reminds you please gamble responsibly If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.